Wow. So I feel like in telling this story, I'm ruining any chance that we have of someday being sponsored by Airbnb. <laughs> There's always verb Verbo. Is that another one? Yeah. VRBO. Do you say VRBO or do, do you, you say, say Verbo? Because I've heard it both ways. We that's Verbo like can fancy people us. though. I don't care. I want to be a fancy person. But Sorry. anyway, as a Verbo human, I used to be a big fan of Airbnb. Like it felt so much more just like down home and happy and like like eclectic than a hotel. I don't love hotels. So I went on a trip recently and it was staying in like this this updated cabin in the hills like it was beautiful and it was amazing and it was so so good for the first like three days and then on day four dun 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 is that the angel of the day song? <laughs> no <laughs> no there was no angel in this story Beth I wish that there were okay. but it doesn't have a happy ending <laughs> No, on night, whatever, um, the ceiling started leaking water directly onto the bed. And, like, I thought it had stopped, but then in, like, the middle of the night, I'm laying there, and all of a sudden, you just hear, blink, blink, Mm blink. And it's, like, the middle of the night. It's the last night. Like, there's no options of, like, bopping to a hotel right now. Mm. So I just, like, move the bed and try to, like, put something under the leak. And then I'm laying there trying to sleep. And I just hear, blink, blink. And then you hear more blinks, like, all over the room. Because mm. it starts leaking in more places. And it's like, so no. late. And I just want to sleep. And my rage is just, like, increasing by the minute and by the blink. Like, it's like death by a thousand blinks. And I'm just... Water torture. Literal water torture, Melissa. Do you know what I bet you wished? That there was a tiny baby bassinet somewhere in a corner (laughs) that you could crawl into where it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) Like on our Airbnb trip, (laughs) you fit perfectly into the nursery bed for a baby. (laughs) (laughs) So I could just wake up next to you in the bassinet, staring at you through the bars of the crib. Terrifying, I'm crying. Esther, I don't want to hijack your Airbnb story, but I have a similar traumatic situation. Oh, no. We're really putting the nail in the coffin with Airbnb. I know. I, I, too, used to be such an advocate for Airbnb. Sorry, this is an anti-sponsorship for Airbnb. Because it's a I have had more lately. Well, I haven't traveled lately, but my past few experiences have been incredibly not great. <laughs> but the one that's coming to mind... Okay, this is my fault, but, like, I booked a, you know how you can, like, book full, like, full basements. So, we went, our family went to Colorado, and we, Mm -hmm. like, had the whole basement to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Me and Josh, little Dion, this was, like, over a year ago. And um, I was like, oh, the hosts have little kids, like, a baby and a two-year-old. We're going to be great. Like, we can all just make noise. The children can cry in the night. It's fine. And so we get there and like, you guys, I missed that it said 420 friendly. Oh. I missed that 
if you scroll all the way down in tiny font, it says 420 friendly. You know, it's Colorado. They're living their best lives. However, I didn't think that it would. Anyway, so what ended up happening is we didn't know that. And then we essentially felt like we were like hot boxing marijuana for like a whole night. No. And Josh and I were like, well, this is interesting. Like we hold space for, but like there's children and there's a lot happening. And so then like Josh was like, I can't, it feels kind of hazy. And so we were laying in bed like Googling secondhand high question mark with marijuana. Because you guys, it's coming through the air ducts, you know, because oh, it's no. like, and so it was like we were hot boxing weed and great. I don't feel like we were high, <laughs> but I will say we did have to stay there for the night. And then we just said, I think a hotel's in our future. Wow. Anyway, if I may offer a suggestion, everyone just fully read Airbnbs before you book them. <laughs> On my yeah. end, on Esther's end, you should try to get a refund. I got that. Believe me, as I was laying there in the night, unable to sleep, I was in my head mentally rehearsing the scathing reviews that I was going to write for this man. <laughs> You're like, put in a baby bassinet in a dry corner for me. Do not stay here. So now, instead of writing the scathing review, I'm just blasting it all over my podcast the end the end hey guys this is beth and welcome to the people who see podcast we ask questions often avoided and listen to stories often unheard we believe great stories and great questions allow us to see our faith differently Thank you for joining the conversation. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. <laughs> Welcome back to the People Who See podcast. I am Esther. It's me. And I'm here with Melissa. Good. Guten Tag. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, great job. I love that. Um, and Beth. Hello. So normal. So good. I love how we've switched, like, who's doing the normal greeting and who's doing the weird greeting. I like that a lot. Um, but today, we are here to have an amazing conversation with a spiritual director named Danielle Evans. And you may or may not know this, but everything that we do at People Who See is centered around the tools and postures of spiritual direction. So we're so excited to learn from Danielle as she provides trauma-informed care in her spiritual direction practice. So a little bit about Danielle. Um, she is the daughter of Haitian immigrants and holds a BA in biblical studies, an MA in trauma and crisis counseling, and is currently pursuing more graduate work in psychology. She completed spiritual direction training through Sustainable Faith and is a certified Enneagram educator. Her pastoral and church ministry work for 15 plus years included writing and teaching Bible studies, speaking, and mentoring others in their faith journey. As a blogger, Danielle has written widely for online and print publications, and you are invited to visit her website, www. Didn't need to say that. <laughs> it's 2022. <laughs> DanielleEvans.org. 
Um, Danielle feels particularly drawn to offering spiritual support to those who may find themselves in places of transition or struggle. Her personal experiences with loss and trauma support Danielle's desire to be a safe space for others. A homeschool mother of five and a oh. passionate defender of children who need an advocate. Danielle and her children live out their days in central Pennsylvania where she enjoys cooking, writing, reading, photography, and tea. And it was specifically this idea of trauma-informed soul care that drew us to Danielle. So I can't wait for you to hear her interview. But I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Um, if anyone who knows me knows, I love a good open-ended question. So we love to start out our interviews with this question of just tell us your story. And you can take that in whatever direction you please yeah I love that question when um I first kind of thought that you might start with it or saw it in you know the notes I thought well that's very broad wow like what do they want me to say um so I will just give I know right (laughs) I will just give a little bit of my 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 story Um, or maybe I should say how I ended up here is probably how I Mm -hmm. I kind of framed it for myself um I was very graced and fortunate to live and grow up in a home that um, had a lot of pluses to to it, in that I had parents who were loving and kind and provided me with a good, solid upbringing in all of the ways that seem good and solid, meaning that there was going to church, there was, you know, doing family stuff together, there was... um, good educational opportunities. So I feel like there was a lot of privileges, honestly, in my upbringing. And there were also some challenges, particularly by the time I got to the end of my childhood, entering young adulthood, um, where I and my family faced some personal traumas that really just shaped and shifted um, the ways of our family being and thinking. And at that time, probably in that decade, it wasn't very popular to engage counseling or that kind of thing. But um, I wish I had, because I know now that it would have been tremendously helpful, you know, to my story and to my family's story. But I kind of went on, I got married, I had several kids, um, got degrees that were beneficial to church ministry and did a lot of that work most of the time. I was in pastoral ministry for about 16 years, 16, 17 years. Um, Really enjoyed that work. But then, also, no, I wouldn't say but then. That sounds like it was terrible. But just there was a shift that came about in my life um, when I discovered spiritual direction. And I was introduced to that. I had never heard of it before, maybe just about uh, eight or nine years ago now. And fell in love with the practices, fell in love with this mode of communicating and engaging other people, and kind of made a vocational shift. Um, from church ministry direct work into this one-on-one listening practice and conversation with others. And so right now, that's the primary work that I do along with some writing. And I've shifted out of the church ministry work. Um, I'm no longer a married individual. I've faced that hump in probably trauma, I would describe it as well. So I'm a single mom with five kiddos, three or two, two are still at home. One's in college and two are kind of on their own. 
Um, and I have just seen the beauty and the beast of life, I guess, in my own personal story, where there's been lots of good and then lots of challenges as well. So I feel like holding compassionate space for people who have also had that in their story is just a really strong passion of mine. So that's probably a wide scope. We can feel free to go any deeper that you want to go to and just who I am and, and how I kind of ended up here. I have a, I've got a, I've got a question for you. Um, also, sure. Saeed, my teeth. <laughs> you literally do. <laughs> I have my, anyway, I'm going to keep going. As we said, Danielle. As we said, very <laughs> yeah. relaxed. I'm, I'm rolling with it. I'm rolling with it. Um, no, I love, Esther and I talk about this a lot with spiritual direction that we feel like it was like, I mean, I only discovered it like five, four or five years ago. And it felt like this like magical gift. And I was like, why did no one tell me? It's not like yes. a Sesame Street voice. I don't know. But I was, it was like, why did no one tell me this like magical gift existed? Um, just the gentleness of meeting spiritual direction, I feel like is just very gentle in the experiences that I've had, which I love. Um, but I think my question is, how did you how did you stumble across it like specifically how did you find it the gem that it is yeah great question um and i would say it was kind of a stumbling across honestly i like the words that you use there because i happened to be on a sabbatical um, from the church ministry work that i was doing the pastoral work and was assigned a coach somebody to kind of you know walk me through that process make sure sure that i was resting and and those kinds of things. And they suggested spiritual direction. And mm -hmm. I thought, okay, I've never heard of that. They also suggested the Enneagram and I had never heard of that either. Um, so I began meeting with a spiritual director who was very well versed in the Enneagram. And I felt the same way. I thought, wait a second, why hasn't anyone told me about this? Like, how long has this been around? Why isn't, why aren't we talking about this? So I began meeting with that person for about, I think I stayed with that individual for about two years and um, just really fell in love with the slow paced, gentle, um, but yet intentional practice. And it just opened up my eyes to the world that is spiritual direction and the space that it provides. Um, and then, so I, I pretty quickly within a year or two, I think jumped into training and then decided this is the path that I really want to kind of put most of my energy into. I really loved church ministry work, but I didn't like parts of it, the, the politics and some of the stuff that has to, has to go on sometimes, you know, for the running of a church. So listening to people's stories and being that with there, with them in it um, was my heart. And so I was very grateful to be introduced to spiritual direction and feel really grateful to offer it to I feel like, yeah, I feel like every single person, almost every single person that I've talked to who's discovered spiritual direction talks about it in these terms of like, why did no one tell me about this? Like, where has this been hiding my whole life? Like, this is what I've been longing for and needing for so long. And I think, I mean... I'm just so glad that we have stumbled across it and hopefully we can <laughs> lead a few other people to stumble across it as well. Yeah. Um, 
I think I want to ask you about a couple of like terms that you use when we creeped on mm-hmm. your website to talk about the work that you do. <laughs> um, and I guess the it's around this idea of like trauma-informed soul care. And I would love to sort of hear you talk about both of those phrases of like what mm. what is soul care to you and how do you, what does that mean to you in your own practice? And then I guess the second part that's a whole other question, but like how does being trauma-informed play into that? Yeah, sure. No, I think, I think those are important to kind of break down what, at least what I mean by that. I think there are um, different ways of describing that, and there's probably no universal way of describing trauma or like a definition that we could, you know, look up and all probably agree upon. But there are elements and pieces, I think, that makes sense. But let me jump to the first part, which is soul care, um, which I am really, I really feel like is an important piece. And I feel like it's a little bit different than just tending to our spiritual journeys, meaning that like we go to, you know, we may attend church or um, part of some faith community or friendships or circles or those kinds of things where we are journeying with others or we're journeying along. and we're kind of paying attention to perhaps what we're learning, the information that we're gaining, the friendships that we're making, and that's all wonderful. It's all needful. And I very much affirm all of that. I feel like soul care is a little bit different because we are paying attention to the movements of our own um, personal journey, our own um, interaction and connection with the divine, with God. Um, our own, the own movements of our soul, I like to call it, because we go through different journeys. We go through things that may feel light and exciting, and we may go through movements where our soul feels very heavy or weighed down um, by the situations or the circumstances that we're facing. So allowing ourselves to be in the space of another person who is committed to just tending that journey with us is what I think soul care is about, like the crux of it, if I were to kind of pinpoint what it's all about. It's kind of making ourselves available, um, and then also that other person making themselves available in this relationship that is safe and trustworthy enough to just talk about that journey and to notice the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy, the things to celebrate, and the things that are hard. Um, So that's why how I would I would kind of pinpoint and wrap up what soul care means as far as um, my practice and and what I offer and my approach. I love the idea of sort of honoring the needs of your soul in that way of just saying like, I am, I deserve to even listen to and pay attention to what I need in that way because I think that is sort of the first thing to go right like if you're if you're in a time of stress or even just like living your normal life it's not something that we've sort of been trained or even told to pay attention to yeah I totally agree totally agree Um, and I work with a lot of leaders who are 
in churches or in parachurch organizations or leading their own kind of um, initiative, you know, spiritual initiative or outreach or ministry or that kind of thing. And I applaud them all the time. I say kudos to you for taking the time, the space, the finances, whatever, just putting aside the time to tend to this journey because um, it's important. It really, really is. And I love that word honoring because it's saying, I'm going to place this as a priority, as something that is helpful and needful for me and um, will benefit me in multiple other ways. It's gonna benefit um, spiritually, but also emotionally, you know, psychologically, all these other ways will benefit as well when we tend to our soul journeys. So yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you on honoring that space and the need for that space. Mm -hmm. I think it's encouraging for me to hear about your work with pastors and churches, because I think in my experience with the denominations that I've been a part of, spiritual direction isn't a part of the conversation. Like, I know that Esther and I have spoken at like a lot of churches, but a few and asking questions of like, yeah, raise your hand if you've heard of spiritual direction and maybe a person will raise their hand. And, and I think seeing it as such a gift, um, I want the churches to have like more accessibility to it and more like understanding around it. And so I think it's so encouraging that you are finding churches that are open and like wanting to prioritize that. It's just my affirmation yeah. of the churches you're working with. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I think Great. I, I happen to be connected to a community. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Transforming Center in yes. Illinois. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I personally engaged their program and went through the, I think, 24 or 27 month. Program. It's how I found you. Oh, that's right. You did mention that. <laughs> that's on great. Their <laughs> Let me find the cool people. Let me um, find the cool people. Trauma informed care. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I think they do an excellent job. I mean, they their their promotion is to leadership, and and so I, having gone through their program, and also you know being a sp trained spiritual director just get connected with a lot of leaders there. And I find that it's slow, but it is taking, it's taking off. Um, the pace is getting um, a little bit faster in at least the Protestant church, understanding and embracing um, spiritual direction, mm -hmm. you know, and soul care in general. Yeah. So it's exciting. It's encouraging. Yes. <laughs> um. I think, okay, I think I took us off topic, but I do want to get back to my, I should have just asked one question and then asked That's my next okay. question. So we're going to move into the, um, the second part of my original question, um, which is this frame, this phrase trauma informed, which I am familiar with in sort of other circles, maybe in more of like psychological, um, spaces um but i've never heard it used in reference to like spiritual direction or soul care um so i'd love to sort of hear you speak about what that looks like for you yeah sure sure 
Um, and I would agree with you. I think in the field of counseling or therapy or those kinds of spaces, um, even in education, you know, spaces, the, the phrase trauma-informed care is becoming much more embraced, accepted. Um, there's a lot more talk about it than need for training and understanding. And definitely much less so probably in spiritual realms, whether that's churches or even Christian counseling spaces. Um, so a little bit less. I mean, I'm sure it's out there, but at least I haven't encountered it a lot. Um, but that's not to say it's not present and out there. So I would say, first of all, trauma-informed care just includes a couple of elements, I think, where, first of all, it's being trained in understanding and acknowledging that trauma exists and that most people have encountered deep grief and suffering and harms or pain somehow in their story. And that that is just true, that we are encountering people all of the time, whether we know it or whether they know it, who have just had the impact of trauma in their lives. And that that is holistic, like it's impacting us spiritually psychologically, emotionally, in all these different ways. And so realizing that, acknowledging that that's a fact, that that's a truth that's in our churches. It's, I mean, the numbers are just, you know, too high for what people are experiencing, whether it's assault or domestic abuse or all these things for it to not be present right there in our spiritual communities. Mm -hmm. So it's realizing like this, this is a reality. And then also understanding um, that it is helpful or we need people who are trained, who are to be trauma-informed, to be trained, to recognize those signs and symptoms of what may be going on, first of all, for an individual, and then also communal, you know, like collective type of experiences. Um, we all just went through, you know, the pandemic together. Um, and we've had two years of what I would describe as collective trauma, where there's been a lot of different impact you know, for different communities, but we all kind of walk through this suffering together. And so that brought about different kinds of experiences and interpretations of experiences for people. And, um, and then also I would say trauma-informed care, including knowing how to respond. And so that can be anywhere from the super trained, highly skilled psychiatrist or psychologist to just being a friend to someone and just kind of understanding what maybe our limitations may be, but how to just be there for them in a way that is supportive and does not cause further harm. I think that's the biggest thing about trauma-informed care, that we are behaving in ways or acting in ways that acknowledge and affirm the experience of a person, but that doesn't lead to further harm or like a re-traumatization is a phrase that would be used like in psychology. Um, so spiritual care that is kind of that um, soul care that I described earlier about honoring someone's journey and someone's story and recognizing that that story probably has, you know, pieces of harm or elements of pain in it and understanding how to affirm that, respond to it and not cause any further harm. It's probably, if I can put that all together, if you can make a nice package of that, that's how I would describe <laughs> it. <laughs> that's how I would say trauma-informed soul care, you know, means can i ask a question about the beautiful words that you just spoke 
feel like I'm asking permission to ask a question in an interview. You Excuse may. Me. I will give you permission. <laughs> ask a question. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was I was thinking about this and um so I was sitting with a friend whose son was in the hospital over the weekend and like with some like pretty like life threatening a very intense situation with her young son. And she was just talking about how not a lot of people like to show up. Like they don't offer helpful words and she doesn't want to invite people. And I, I think I felt, even though I'm a highly empathetic person, I felt very much like out of my comfort zone. And so I think like in these situations of like deep trauma, a mother sitting with her son um, and being a friend in that situation, my brain was like, practically bring something that's going to be helpful. Feed her. Hospital food sucks. (laughs) And also, like, I just hugged her and I asked some questions and just like let her talk if she wanted to talk. But I'm wondering if you could give... Because situations like that can feel very overwhelming. And, like, how do we be a good friend to people in trauma? And even, like, I'm a certified spiritual director. I have a doctor of ministry. Like, I've been in seminary for so long. And even I feel unequipped. Like, So I can only mm-hmm. imagine what Susie's feeling. Like, who you know, who hasn't. <laughs> she's just trying to live her life. And, <laughs> like... So my very, what a question and a rambling journey, but like how, what are some practical takeaways that a friend who's walking and sitting with a friend in trauma could utilize in situations mm-hmm. that are like incredibly hard and that you kind of are like, ah, oh, unequipped. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, I love that question. And not because I love the situation that your friend is going through. I'm sorry to hear about that. Um, but it is true. It is true. We're going to find ourselves encountering those kinds of situations and spaces with others. And we're definitely going to find ourselves in those situations where we're just kind of like, ah, I wish someone would show up for me in a way that's helpful. Mm-hmm. And first I would say, you know, certainly it's highly individualized. What one person might appreciate, the next person might be like, well, who cares? Um, I mean, I would totally love the food coming in from the outside rather than hospital food, that practical kind of help would be great. So I think that's a wonderful way. But as far as just being there and being in the space with the person, I think a couple of things come to mind. First of all, just personally acknowledging that this is hard, like this is messy. There is no perfect way to approach it. There is no perfect saying or word or scripture or anything. And so that we can acknowledge for ourselves, first of all, that we we don't have to come in knowing everything. And I, having worked with people enough and and understanding, you know, from my own experiences, I think people are okay with us acknowledging that, like saying something as simple as, I don't know what to say right now, and I don't even know what would be helpful to you. But I can tell you that I'm here for you. In this moment, I am with you, and whatever I could do in this moment to be helpful I want to try like that phrase alone just acknowledges, Hey, this is tough. This is hard. Maybe neither one of us know what to say. Maybe there is nothing to say, but to just sit and be silent with that person. 
but we're acknowledging that I'm present and I will offer my presence as much as I can. Um, I think also affirming their experience. I always tell people, listen to the words that the person in the situation is using and how they're describing their experience. If they're being quiet, you be quiet. If they're, you know, rattling on and talking about the situation, well, listen, but use the same words. Like I try to be really careful to not use different words in what the person is saying. So if your friend, for example, is saying, oh my goodness, you know, I just really feel like God's going to get me through this and we're really going to make it, you know, and what, well, affirm that. That's, that's how she's experiencing it right then. But if she's in a space of, well, I just don't know. I just have so many doubts. Like where is God right now? Or what's going on? Or how are we going to afford this surgery or whatever it may be? You can be there with her in that and just echo or even kind of repeat or make space for those kinds of words. Um, but being okay that we may not know. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I have degrees in this stuff and there's times where I hear someone's story and I'm like, Holy Spirit help, you know, like somebody fill my mouth with some words, you know, or something to say, because um, the acknowledgement that trauma is the impact of trauma, I should say, is messy and it can be very hard and there is no quick fix. It's a process that we're all going through, but we can offer presence and that is significant. I really feel like that is significant to others. So is that helpful? Oh my gosh, it's so helpful. It, it's because I always talk about this book, but um, have you heard of The Rabbit Listened? It's oh, a kid's no. book. Okay, I would. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> because it's, it's this, I'm not going to go into the book, but um, it's essentially this book on teaching children empathy on how to just like sit with mm. people in their pain. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's so hard it's so hard to do. And I would say, even though it's my natural in, like, I feel like that's more, it's more in me to do that. I have to like force myself to bring food to people because I'm like, some people like to eat Beth in like be practical, but I'm like, I'd rather just sit here and be sad. (laughs) Um, but I know that like, it's still so incredibly hard Mm -hmm. and it's such presence is such an incredibly hard thing. Do you think it's because we, it's so hard to sit with people in their pain because we can't sit with ourselves in our pain and in our stuff? Like, do you think that's like often a limiting factor, like Mm. that keeps us from being, because sometimes I think about this and like, why do we have such a hard time in the uncomfortable spaces with handling people's pain? And I've just, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, so we have sure. So many questions to get to. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's the okay. interview we... was seventeen hours long, <laughs> yeah. and the editing took three months. <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I think that's a great question, and um, I would probably offer two perspectives. One is that yes, absolutely. Sometimes we feel so uncomfortable with the idea of pain itself um, that. We want to we want to hurry up and get out of there. Like it is uncomfortable, you know. And sure, I mean, even when we experience pain, if it's physical pain, we immediately want to relieve it. Um, so sometimes we haven't dealt with our own stuff, and so the situation in front of us is kind of bringing up memories or heightening our awareness about our own story. And we're kind of like, ah, you know, I got to get away from this. And so we want to say something quick. We give a quick platitude. We give a scripture. We, you know, say a, a quote from I don't know somebody. 
just to hurry up and get out of the situation to just make it easy as fast as possible. So sure, sometimes there's stuff going on inside of us. Sometimes too, I think we've just been conditioned that way as a society. Um, we're, there are some societies that are probably, I would say this way, are more comfortable with the idea of grief, suffering, pain, being there with other people. That's just part of their culture and the upbringing. Um, that would not be our Western culture. Um, and as much as the church would love to say, hey, we're empathetic, we are loving, and I believe that we are, we too still are like, honey, hurry up and get over that because like this is so uncomfortable for us to deal with. Like, are you still talking about that situation? It's like nine months old where, you know, I know in other cultures and I, and I work with some people who are in other cultures who there is permission, wide permission to grieve and to grieve with community and to show your grief and to talk about it. And it's very much accepted. So yeah, I think there's probably a dual thing. Sometimes there could be things going on inside of us that we probably wanna get curious about and pay attention to. Also, I think we need to acknowledge that, hey, I probably grew up like this, you know, for better or for worse. I have to acknowledge that this is part of my conditioning. And so I want to work at that in ways that help me be a little bit more okay with the hard spaces for myself and for others. I have what may be a really silly question, but I'm genuinely curious, so I'm going to ask it. Is there sure. a difference in your opinion? And I'm sure there's no like hard and fast rule about this, but in your opinion, in your experience, is there a difference between like what we would label as quote unquote trauma and sort of just like difficult things or seasons that we walk through? Like, is there a difference? Mm -hmm. Does it, is it just based on the person's experience of it, sort of what they walk away with? Like, what would you say to that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Great question. And <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's not silly. I don't think that's no. silly at all. And I often get that question, like, is this traumatic? Like, is this something that I, you know, yeah. should label as trauma? Yeah. Is this just, you know, that big of a deal? Yeah. And um, I feel like the answer, at least my perspective, is that it depends. It really depends on the person and how they are experiencing whatever it is that they have been through. I also feel like it's how many areas of impact that this has had. So two people can go through the same exact situation. For example, you know, um, the death of a loved one or um, the pandemic, you know, or something like that. And depending on our resources, like do we have community? Do we have people around us? Um, depending on many socioeconomic factors, you know, do I have the funds, the money, the education, the wherewithal to go about seeking help? Um, do I have that internal or external resources in order to take my life to the next step is a huge factor in how well, or not how well people recover, but how deeply they are impacted by whatever it is that hits them. So someone can experience a similar thing and someone else can have that same experience and be totally, completely differently impacted based on the resources that they have to actually handle, quote, I use that in quotes, handle the situation. Um, so it really depends. It really depends. Um, I could have a job loss 
and be able to bounce back from that much faster than someone who may not have the resources that I have, the ability that I have, the circles of community and support that I have in order to bounce back from that same thing. So for them, the situation may be much more traumatic, we would say, than um, for me, where it might just be like, oh, wow, that was really tough. I don't want to go through that again. But I don't experience it as a trauma that disrupts my life. Wow. At least not long term. Yeah. I feel so, like. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm so sorry. That just like blew my mind. Like I have never been able to put it into terms of like sort of like a privilege to have the resources the the circle of like safety nets and communities and like all of those sorts of things that enable you to be more resilient or to experience things in different ways like I've never been able to put that into those terms and that's yeah inc- like I feel like <laughs> I feel like that I'm going to walk away from this with that realization of just like, wow, if I'm looking at someone experiencing something and I don't understand why they're experiencing it Mm -hmm. in that way, maybe it's time to, like you said, get curious and say like, well, why would this, maybe they, what, what don't they have that I might have Mm -hmm. that might be causing them to experience this in a different way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't have a resource and I hate quoting things without a resource because I'm one of those people. I'm a type five on the Enneagram. So I'm like, where did you get that from? You know, but I can tell you that the studies out there, you know, just Google it. There are studies out there that will clearly tell us that the number one factor to, to determine how well someone will recover from a suffering, a pain, a trauma is their community support is whether or not they have at least one to three people who are on their side, cheering them on and there for them. And that is one of the number one things that um, indicate how well we're gonna bounce back, you know, from a a situation. So community support is huge, not to mention that if I'm part of a group that has already experienced communal trauma, like a racial group, an ethnic group, a sexual orientation group, Um, whatever it may be that has already has like this collective kind of trauma experience, well, then that's already part of my story, you know, as well as my own individual interpretation and experience of whatever is going on. So there are multi, it's multi-layered, I would say. And it's helpful for us as coaches, leaders, church leaders, therapists, counselors, friends, to recognize and acknowledge that. I think that's part of at least a trauma awareness and definitely part of trauma-informed care to say, I recognize that there are multiple layers to your story. I may not understand it. I may not have ever experienced it, um, but it's it's part of my responsibility to at least be curious about what those things are and how they're impacting your ability to respond to whatever's going on. Yeah. And I feel like this is helping to clarify a lot of things for me and who I'm picturing in my head in my own context because we live in the Midwest I am a child of like solid sturdy Iowa farm stock who like <laughs> what? you sound like a, you're a piece of cattle I be, like my mom calls me a city kid but because she was raised in like an L-O-L. Iowa like, L-O-L Sioux so, Falls but, <laughs> 
That's but anyway, like it's such a Midwestern cultural value to have this sort of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like yeah. you can gut it out. You can beat like you just take it on the chin and you just keep going. And I feel like that's who I like I'm picturing in my head a lot of these like slightly older white Midwestern people who I think there's this disconnect around the idea of trauma because they think of it as this like, well, you're like probably just like not very tough. Like, and so you should probably just bury it like we did and never speak of it again and have it come out in all sorts of, you know, passive aggressive sideways type ways. Um, But like they, they don't, there's like a disconnect in what trauma actually is. And I feel like for me, coming out of that culture, I've obviously had a thousand baby steps to expand my understanding. But Mm -hmm. this connection of like, it comes, it's not just about you or how tough you are. It's about these thousands of other layers of what's in your story and what's in your community and what's your support system Mm -hmm. and what have you experienced before and are you in an already marginalized group? Like, it's complicated. Yes, that's a good word for it. It is complicated and appreciating that complication, not as in a negative sense, but just that it's multi-layered mm-hmm. is I think a part of just, even if I'm just a friend to someone else, like let's take the example we were talking about before, your friend who's dealing with her son. Well, there are I'm sure financial factors or relational factors or all different kinds of things that go into her story that make up her experience of what's going on. You know, if someone is not at all thinking about how I'm going to pay for this or what's going to happen with the insurance, whatever, well, that is not a significant impact. But for someone else, that could be crushing and devastating and be the main issue that they're focusing on or dealing with. Um, And maybe not even the illness, you know, at first, because they're just so concerned about this other part. So, um, and I just want to offer, (laughs) it's not only the white Miss Webb, Midwesterners, oh, if I can get that word out, <laughs> who could do that? Because I am part of, um, my parents are Haitian immigrants. And so in the Haitian culture, um, in the Caribbean culture, it's very similar. Like you, you just get over it. Like you just pull yourself through and, and get this done, whatever this is. And so on one hand, I feel grateful, you know, for that kind of like, all right, let's go, you know? And then I was raised with a super strong faith of in God, like God is God, he's gonna get you through, don't you worry about it. And so you don't question anything. And if you're feeling pain, well, you just kind of move on. So I'm sure I've expanded my appreciation for the dozens of ways that it's much more complicated than that. But um, there are lots of cultures and certainly the West is very much a pull by, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, kind of uh, culture. And unfortunately that I think that has seeped into the church. Um, that mentality, which produces a lot of shame and guilt for people, because it's like, why can't I get over this? Why can't I, you know, get past this struggle or this must be an issue with me? And really, it's like, well, honey, you're dealing with a lot of layers of, you know, impact um, of your grief and suffering. And it's probably just not all you and the fact that you didn't do something, you know, well or right. Yeah. I feel like Danielle's spiritual directing this right now. She's our also, Danielle, we I refer Esther and I share a spiritual director, and she's literally like a wizard. 
I've never <laughs> said this about another spiritual director. And Don, if you're listening, you're a wizard. But we've met another wizard today, Esther. <laughs> A wizard, a wizard of, of the Holy Spirit. Of the Holy Spirit. If of we, the Holy Spirit. A holy wizard. We, I take it. We've I met think, another wizard of the Holy Spirit. I think it made Dawn very uncomfortable when we so, called her a wizard. Also, Dawn went to the like, Transforming Center. Dawn did go to the Transforming oh, okay. Center. So they really did good work over there. They breed wizards. <laughs> Haley Barton, <laughs> if you're listening, are you breeding wizards of the Holy Spirit? That's what they're doing. There's magic potions going on in the background. Esther, you can use that as a oh quote for I was going to say, we're going to cut a sound clip out and just be like, the Transforming Center is breeding wizards. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's gosh. great. That's great. I'm so sorry. Um, just side wow. note. I take it as a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> you should. I don't know that I've ever been given that that title, oh, so I received it today. We, yeah, we like to call people magical unicorns, too, which will definitely apply to you as well, Danielle. Definitely. So. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I receive it. I receive it. Um, okay. But I, I'm glad that you, you said something towards the end of your last answer, Danielle, about the church. And I kind of wanted to circle back because it's been a bit of a running theme. Like you said earlier that when you were first sort of talking about trauma-informed care, that this is something that clearly and statistically, like, is affecting the people that are sitting mm -hmm. in church seats and, like, mm -hmm. in Christian counselors' offices. But, like, it's not something that Christians or maybe the church or whatever those spaces are, it almost seems like we're more resistant to it. Mm -hmm. Um do you have any, and if you don't, that's great too, but do you have any thoughts on why we might be so resistant to thinking about this? Or is it just that we're kind of behind the times? Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's, I feel like that's a beautiful question. Um, and I do have different thoughts on it. We could probably do a whole podcast on just that, <laughs> but we won't go there that far. I, I feel as though the beauty of the Christian faith, because that's, that's the faith I'm familiar with, is that there is a, just a deep faith in God's ability to do all things. God's um, you know, preeminence, to use a good theological term, just like the uh, God is able, he will, we ask, he responds, we pray, he shows up. Like there's just a super strong He's the God of miracles. We see that all throughout the scripture. And he is not only able, but he is willing to act on our behalf, my behalf. Like it's God is willing to show up in my story and to be present and to be there and to do these wonderful, awesome, powerful things. That is such a gift. And I believe all of that to be true. What I sense and may probably would acknowledge has happened is that we have leaned way <laughs> over there to where our bent, um, probably in the evangelical church and in, in general, you know, Protestant churches and, and the Catholic churches too, um, that we're omitting just the humanity that is also the experience, the, the grittiness of being human in this world the the hard that we face the emotions that come with that the depth of pain and suffering that can touch our lives like we feel it we see it 
but I believe we just kind of want to run to it. And what we run to is what we know best. It's like, well, God will heal. God will help. But then we shun away the emotions, the conversations, the deep places of pain and hurt. What I would hope for the church, and I believe, I feel hopeful about it because I believe I see it happening in lots of different circles over time. And I believe it's always been present. It's certainly the message of the scriptures, I believe, is that we also begin to incorporate more and more of this talk about that we are humans who are very much shaken up and our lives disrupted by pain and suffering. That is just a truth. It is a reality. I believe it's a reality that Christ showed us and and demonstrated for us that he experienced um, while on this planet and that there's room and grace to hold both things, that God is our healer. He is all powerful. He shows up in our stories and that we can be hurting in deep, immense ways all at the same time. Like we don't have to choose one or the other. Both are true and they're both true most likely at the same time for us. So I'm hopeful that pastors, teachers, coaches, spiritual directors will continue to create spaces and conversations and teach people how to enter into those spaces. Like, you know, the practice of lamenting or grieving or holding practices and spaces for people to, to um, grieve, whether it's an individual, you know, uh, trauma or situation or whether it's a communal one. Um, that those kinds of practices, at least I've noticed them, we're hearing stories about them, that they would become more commonplace. That we would not deny, you know, God's ability to show up in our stories and to do whatever the Holy Spirit decides to do, but also acknowledge the humanity and the grittiness. And I like that word because that's what it feels like sometimes. It just feels like sandpaper rubbing up against our lives in uncomfortable ways because um, sometimes life just throws really hard things our way and that we can hold both of those realities and truths together as one one package as well as we can at the time and to create spaces for both of those things to be true at the same time that's kind of where i land um so one other thing i did want to get a chance to ask you about while we during our precious time we have with you danielle um Another thing from stalking your website that you have talked about is um, sort of emphasizing in the soul care of women. And obviously, Mm. as a woman, as someone whose co-host is a woman, our whole co-host team is a woman. Um, I would love to just hear you talk about that and kind of about what, like, what are some of the specific woundings that you see either spiritual or otherwise that you see in the women you care for and maybe why are those needs sometimes neglected in church or spiritual spaces Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I felt like that I feel like that's a really good question um and it's probably nuanced like every question we've asked but you're asking my opinion so I'll offer that um I, I think that it doesn't take much to look at even the recent news, you know, in just the last couple of years or, you know, decade or so of experiences within the church, and I mean the larger, broader church, to just notice, at least in my opinion, that the voices of women have obviously been marginalized to different degrees, 
where it, it I, and I use the word phenomenon as in something exciting or wonderful, but it is a phenomenon to me that things can lie dormant for years. And then all of a sudden you hear these explosive stories of, you know, 25 women have accused this leader or church leader or, or um, ministry leader of something. And just the collective stories that just come out because they were not paid attention to. That's usually the thread that I notice in the story that somebody was trying to speak up or say something, but the story wasn't believed or listened to. If I were to name a wounding that I see either within my practice and I hear about a lot and, and in a general kind of way, it would be that, that the voices of women somehow are marginalized within the church, that the gender, the female gender is sometimes a marginalized gender. And I'm not necessarily trying to say, oh, you know, I'm arguing about leadership in the church. I'm not even talking about all of those things. And every church can have their different practices on that. I am more speaking to the dismissal um, when the people are speaking up about their own story and experience and saying, hey, this is what's happened to me, whether it's been in the church or outside of the church, there's just a lot of dismissing of that. And sometimes the dismissing is in probably good intentional ways. Like, like again, like we were saying before, like, let me give you a scripture. You need to pray more. Mm -hmm. You should be a better wife or here's some things to do or here's five things to read. Um, but it's dismissing the story and it's dismissing the crux of what's going on. And maybe because we're uncomfortable with trauma or suffering or pain and we don't know what to do with it. But it's happening a lot more, in my opinion, and from what I can tell by you know statistics to women than it is to the other gender. And that's not to say that men are not experiencing some of those same things as well. They are. But in disproportionate ways, women are experiencing them much more. That's in society in general. And I would say in the church as well, too. Mm -hmm. So I hear story after story after story, whether it's women in leadership, whether it's women who are just speaking about their marriage or another relationship where they are coming and trying to find support and care and acknowledgement of just what's going on and that is not what they are receiving um, instead they're somehow being dismissed and more shame and more guilt is being piled onto um, their story and giving a more like well, there's something you need to do to fix this situation. And that's what they leave with rather than a stronger and better connection to God and a stronger and better connection to their story and understanding what's what's going on and having somebody acknowledge that or equip them and tool them to to face whatever it is that they're facing. Um, so I would say, yeah, the dismissal of, of the female voice that's very broad in general, and I intend it for, to, for it to be broad in general seems to be um, a way that the church, I would hope, continues to grow and continues to expand and recognize as a need, really. I guess my super quick follow-up, I mean, everything that you said, Danielle, as a woman in these spaces, I can affirm. And I feel like mm. it's, it's, almost, it's almost a little bit healing for me to hear you say that like that dismissal in and of itself is a little traumatic. Like that dismissal yeah. in and of itself is a wounding. Like yes, it's not just maybe what happened to you or what happened to someone else. It's, it's the fact that your voice didn't matter enough mm -hmm. to be 
heard or believed. And so I really appreciate you saying that because it's one of those, I don't know if it's permission giving moments, but maybe permission giving to like Mm. say that, yes, my voice was silenced or dismissed and that Mm -hmm. wasn't okay. And it's okay for that to be something that is painful in my story. Um, Do you find in your practice that even just having sort of the safe space of spiritual direction to like tell that story and have your voice be heard and have your story be honored in that way is, do you think that's something that's a big part of healing from something like that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. A hundred times. Yes. And I say that really confidently because first of all, through personal experience, I would say that was part of my own healing journey Mm. to have that safe relationship of spiritual direction and also at times therapy um, where there was just someone who believed me who listened and said wow exactly what we just said to one another like that was not okay that was painful maybe even traumatic and particularly if we've had experiences in our past where we've already not been listened to or heard you know well then it just kicks up you know more emotions and more more things for us because we have now another experience on top of layers of experience of not being listened to or heard or being dismissed. Um, so I say that confident because that's my experience personally. I've seen it happen within my practice where just that experience of one other person who says, I'm here for you. I'm offering presence. I'm offering safety as much as I can. I'm listening to you and I am acknowledging the truth of your story as you're experiencing it is huge is significant and huge and i've heard people name that and then i would say again i don't have a study for you but well i would say the work of dr dan siegel is is probably really helpful um and dr kurt thompson too where psychology is definitely affirming of of that um the whole work of you know interpersonal neurobiology that's the big words for all of that but that just says hey when we are in the presence of another loving caring person our physiologically we are changing our brain is changing our emotions are being impacted like there are positive things happening our heart rate slows down like all of these wonderful positive things happen to us when we are in the presence of a safe person and our story is being heard and acknowledged so I feel like spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in all these ways, we're being impacted for the good. So absolutely, absolutely. Whether it's a good friend, a spiritual director, a therapist, whatever it may be, when we are acknowledged and heard and have space held for us, it is healing. And that healing is a process, but it is a healing piece of our story. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to Google interpersonal neurobiology after this. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just gave you a whole big long phrase. I thought that uh, people know like, wait, break that down for me. What is that? I Hold am on. fascinated. Um, that book, Anatomy of the Soul, though, I like read through it yes. sobbing. Just. Yes. I yeah. think I just saw And that's a good one. That's, that's interpersonal neurobiology. Like oh, that, that's, Esther, I have um, that book if you want to borrow it. You I would love it. It's a fabulous one. Kurt, Kurt Thompson. <laughs> Um, Danielle, I feel like we could, we could talk to you for 16 more hours because (laughs) I did say at one point this interview was going to be 17. Um, but the final question we love to ask is, Mm. I, you know, 
in, in your journey throughout your life of sitting in hard places with yourself and with other people, what has kept you anchored to Christianity in that mm. process in your life? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. I love it. Um, well, I would say, I know there were times that I definitely wanted to run, um, from the faith, you know, if we can put that in quotes, because some of the most painful experiences were probably, you know, at least relatable to some of the things you guys have named where my voice was dismissed within the church mm -hmm. and within church leadership, um, where things were happening within my story or within my home or within a, a intimate relationship where I went and sought and uh, asked for help. And that was not what I received. Um, and I didn't really receive what I would call even a basic response of care. And so that was a very painful thing. And so to be able to separate out God himself from the people who are representing God or teaching about him was hard. I, I, I won't, you know, mince that. That was, that was a hard thing. And I think in some of my experiences, I think if I didn't have, um, my kids, you know, were a big factor in kind of just saying, you know, wait a second, you really believe in this deep enough that you want to pass this along to them. Um, and the idea of a divine, benevolent, loving, faithful, perfect being who wants to be good to me all of the time was actually hard to accept based off of the trauma that happened within my family and within my childhood. But I began to, as I embraced that story for myself, as God's story became my story as well, in that, that this isn't just something that's happening out here, that God is out here you know, doing all these things for the world or for people, but that this is actually connected to me and who I am. And that this being who is faithful and loving and perfect and consistently good is for me and believes me and is for my story and is offering me all those things that I believe we are capable of offering one another, presence and attunement and attention and paying attention to what's going on. So, I think those experiences much more than, uh, you know, I've studied theology and I love that. <laughs> I, you know, I love the church and I love different aspects of it. I think it's the relational aspect of, you know what? It's really true. <laughs> this, this benevolent loving being, I keep on saying all those things because that's hard for us to accept at times. This perfect faithful one is on my side and is for my story and that my story is also his story as well. And that um, in the end, right now and in the end, all will be well and all will be good. Um, keeps me anchored to this particular faith because I'm connecting that to God himself. I feel like I say this every single time, but I am so madly in love with Danielle Evans. I would never cheat on my own spiritual director, who is amazing, but sometimes I do. Like, I want Danielle to be my other spiritual director. Like, if I could just pay multiple people to sit with me and listen to my thoughts and help me spiritually, what a dream that would be. Um... <laughs> But other than that, we're going to talk about some takeaways that we have from this interview. Um, so, Melissa, take it away. 
Oh, man. It's interesting because until I uh, also was in seminary, I did not know about spiritual direction as a practice. And I did not get a chance and have not yet engaged with a spiritual director. But listening to Danielle um, talk about how, you know, it's this like way of gently slowing down that process, which is like of what's going on in someone's spiritual life and, and in their soul is, I mean, it's feels like the direct opposite of what I've experienced in American evangelicalism, where everything is about hyper growth and, you know, everything has to be done very linear, linearly. Um, but additionally with that, like, I appreciate that she is bringing these these practices with a trauma-informed lens. I know that as a as an educator, how profoundly um, helpful it has been just knowing that, I mean, basically everyone has had different types of traumatic experiences. You know, they may not be what are the big T traumas, but, you know, it, to me, the way to approach people is to realize you may say something that you believe is completely innocent or um, harmless, but it hits on somehow on a trauma that someone's experienced. Mm -hmm. And so to take this approach of like everyone's dealing with someone, something um, and to give them that space to process through that uh, and take care of like, to not do that process of spiritual bypassing where it's just like, it's okay. You know, God's got it. Like, and you know, she said like, if that's, you can repeat that back to someone because that's what they're thinking. But you as the person who's listening, you're not going to push that on them. Um, and so I really appreciate and will take away this idea of as both I move as you know, a spiritual person. And if I do happen to get back into a position where I am, uh, doing more, excuse me, uh, with possibly, you know, just interacting with others more on a spiritual level to take that approach of, uh, listening for those places that they're hurting and, giving them space to process that and instead of, you know, looking at their actions and telling them to either just get past it or over it or whatever. So uh, I'm excited to see that hopefully what Danielle is doing now, um, you know, spreads, spreads wider because I think that would be a huge boost to uh, American Christianity. Yeah, for me, there's there's interviews when Esther and I go in, and I, I can sometimes sense like, oh, there's some anxiety, there's some nervousness, like, and this sounds so weird, but with with Daniela, it felt like a beautiful, like my favorite pair of slippers 
<laughs> like a hot magical cup of tea and it was just like from the get-go she has such a beautiful listening and calming and deep presence that it was just like such an amazing conversation where truly she said things where I just was crying because of how deep it touched me um I think one of the things like first of all I love that I brought a case study to this interview (laughs) of like um I was just in this situation like and and just to hear the practical tools that she kind of gave us like to implement was incredibly helpful and something also that stuck out to me in this conversation was you know Melissa to piggyback off a little bit of what you said this idea that um around trauma Esther I think you asked this question but us the same trauma can affect people differently and just kind of holding space for to not judge people for overreacting or underreacting about something, if that makes sense. Like mm. things that have been very deep and personal and hurtful to me aren't going to be for someone else and vice versa. And so I think in this conversation, it just kind of like showed me the, the tenderness. And she used this word, like the words curiosity, the curiosity to have with people in conversations and in our lives. Danielle, we love you. I feel like I actually have kind of a lighthearted takeaway from this interview, which is odd because it was such a deep and meaningful conversation. But most of my epiphanies you can just hear me have in in the interview. (laughs) You don't need me to explore them again now. Um, But I have just, I've been thinking a lot about something she said around how we react to people's sufferings. Um, Like when you asked her about this situation that you're in, Beth, of like, why do we feel so uncomfortable? Like, why are we not necessarily very good in these situations? And I feel like she spoke to this a little bit, but in my experience, I usually feel so much pressure in situations like that, that like you need to have this perfect thing to say and you need to have like this perfectly curated speech that is going to like make them feel better and everything's just going to be like magically fixed and this is so silly I know I'm like six years behind but I just started watching the show this is us and on that show every single episode multiple times an episode we sit through someone like giving this perfect speech and then everything is magically fixed. And I'm like, I think we've we've adopted this mindset that like that is what we need to be able to do to be able to show up well for people in difficult situations. And since none of us can do that in real life because we are not like surrounded by a team of writers <laughs> to write these speeches for us, then like we just kind of default to not saying anything at all or like not showing up at all because we're afraid that we're not going to be able to show up perfectly and fix everything and like Danielle just reminded us that we don't have to show up perfectly we don't have to know what to say we just have to be willing to be present and like sit in those hard things with people and maybe even say out loud I do not know what to say (laughs) and I but I want to be here And I want to walk with you on this journey 
whatever that looks like and whatever you need. And I think that's just such, it's such a brave and vulnerable and yes, slightly terrifying way of showing up in the world. But I think that's what actually people need. (laughs) They don't actually need a this is us style speech in order for you to be a good companion to them in their hard things. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful we had this conversation with Danielle. I feel like I have learned so much from her and we did just want to give kind of a shout out. If you are interested in, um, connecting more with Danielle, maybe even exploring the idea of her being your spiritual director, you can go to her website. I'm not going to say the WWW again. Do it. (laughs) Do it. Hire her as your spiritual director. HTTPS backslash backslash. No. Um, It's DanielleEvans.org. That's Danielle with one L, not two. So visit her website. Learn more about her. Sign up to have her be your spiritual director. You won't regret it. Oh, and keep coming back here next time for the People Who See podcast. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Do you have or know of a story that needs to be heard? Keep the conversation going by following us on Facebook or Instagram and sharing this conversation with someone else who needs to be a part of it. Or if you're like Beth and social media is not your thing, you can visit our website, peoplewhosee.com. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss a conversation. And if you loved an episode, rate, review, and share. Your support ensures that more stories are being heard and more questions are being asked.